This is the Entrepreneurs vs. Coronavirus podcast with your host, Ryan Kononoff. We're in an unprecedented time right now. As coronavirus continues to spread throughout Canada, and in fact our world, we're starting to hear some remarkable stories of how businesses are rapidly evolving and innovating within their space. In this next interview, I had the opportunity to speak with Heather Branscombe, She's a founder and clinical director of Abilities Neurological Rehabilitation, and Heather is also an accomplished physiotherapist and author. What I want you to listen for is her perspective on the coronavirus crisis. Her revenues were down 60%, and yet she remains optimistic and in fact excited about what lays ahead. She also talks about some of her key assets and how she's leveraging them right now to do her best work and also to inspire those on her team to do the same. Over the past week, which has arguably been the most challenging week of March, economically speaking, she's also found a way to increase revenues on a week-over-week basis. Let's dive in. Heather, welcome to the Entrepreneurs vs. Coronavirus podcast, and thank Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, For those that haven't heard of Abilities, can you tell us a bit about your company? What, What do you do? Thank you. So... Um, At Abilities Neurological Rehabilitation, we provide neurological therapy, so specifically physiotherapy, occupational therapy, and speech-language pathology services to kids and adults with neurological challenges. We started just with myself. Um, Again, I'm a physiotherapist. Started in 2007, and now we have four physical locations um, within the Fraser Valley area in Chilliwack, Abbotsford, Surrey, and Coquitlam, and we now have a virtual clinic as well. Awesome. And so tell us a little bit about who a typical customer would be. I get a lot of questions at night or at dinner parties about, oh, fix my back, or oh, do I have a question about my elbow or some sports injury? And so I like to joke that I can't really help you on that. But when you have your stroke or your spinal cord injury, come back to me because that's where we can um, help you. Having said that, so for kids, that would be kids, say, for example, that have autism or Down syndrome, cerebral palsy. There's a variety of challenges. It could be um, an acquired neurological challenge, a brain injury, some kind of viral infection that has consequented in some kind of neurological challenge or a developmental issue. And similarly for adults. So again, children with cerebral palsy become adults with cerebral palsy. Children with Down syndrome become adults with Down syndrome. But we also, again, deal with people with who have had Parkinson's, MS, spinal cord injury, stroke, kind of the variety. So basically, if you have a challenge that kind of stems from some kind of issue with either the brain or the spinal cord, we're the people to help you. Fascinating. And just to give us a bit of a, a, a scope on the size of your operation, you mentioned you've got four locations. How, how many staff do you have? How, what, what's the mix uh, around your, your locations? How many people are involved? Yeah, so we have between 40 and 50 staff members. Some of our staff members turn over a little bit more than um, others. So it's a variety of salaried staff, contractor staff, and hourly staff. Definitely, um, there's a different mix. So again, because we see kids and adults with neurological challenges, we see a variety of different things. So in Coquitlam and Surrey, for example, we tend to see more adults than kids. 
and then as we go out interestingly into the valley we tend to have a higher mix of kids that we see versus um, adults and so in our team we have our team consists of therapists which again are kind of the lifeblood of our organization physiotherapists occupational therapists speech therapists and then working with them we have rehabilitation assistants that help them so the therapists develop and ex and decide what the plan assess and, and develop the treatment and then the rehabilitation assistant would help to actually execute that plan and then supporting them we have them an administrative team so we have um, billing we have customer service bookkeeping and then um, myself now when i was when i was doing some reading it, it seems like you've got a fairly unique business model in that you've sort of brought this team of different types of practitioners together in a way that perhaps isn't as common uh, out in the industry can you tell us a little bit about that is is it in fact unique um, in that sense? Is this something that you came up with or is it quite common to have that mix of, of practitioners all under one one single roof? Yeah, um, that's a super good question. It is unique in terms of a private practice, but it's actually not unique if you go into our public practice. So it kind of speaks to where I come from. So I had been working as a clinician for 10 years in both private and public facilities. And what I what I noticed as I advanced through my career is, again, I, I loved working with both kids and adults with neurological challenges because I love the relationship that happens with that. I mean, I love working with people in general, but if someone sprains their ankle, you know, six to eight visits, and then you're off on your way. But if you have a neurological challenge, it's something that we can help you with long-term. And so that was something that really resonated with me. And right before I opened Abilities, I actually was working as a physiotherapist at the Fraser Valley Child Development Center. And what I loved about working at the Child Development Center was the people that I worked with. And in that environment, I was, as a physiotherapist, working with occupational therapists and speech therapists. And I felt like I was a way better physiotherapist because of the input that I had from my team, because people as a body, we're not just muscles or tissue, you know, we're a complex being. And so it's really interesting to work within a team to see how different disciplines or different perspectives would look at some of the same challenges and how we could work together to, to create something different. So that's what I really loved about working in public practice. So that's like, you know, your government hospital systems. What I found super challenging about that system is the limitations. So there's always resource challenges that we had. There were ongoing wait lists and ways, and it was really hard to innovate as a practitioner. And I could see that there really was a need for public services. So at the time, back in 2007, even private therapy services for people with neurological challenges was really rare. And so you would have what most people would think of like a like a typical physio place where we would go for your back injuries, or your ankle injuries, those kind of things. But they really weren't serving people with neurological challenges better. And so it actually ended up in, in the way of um, education for physiotherapy. When I got my degree, I got a bachelor's degree. Now to become a physiotherapist, my daughter wants to be a physiotherapist. She needs to get a master's degree. 
So for myself, I don't need to change. I'm already a physiotherapist. It doesn't really matter. But that kind of change happened pretty early on in my career. And I thought, hey, 30 years from now, when there's all these physios running around and they all have their master's degree and I don't, I'm not going to want to get a master's degree. So I ended up getting an MBA. And when I did that, what I really found was some of the skills that make a really good therapist is actually some of the same skills that makes a good business person as well. We might call it different things, but it's the same thing. We have a goal. We assess where we are. We know where we want to go and we assess strategies on how to do that. So that was really, once I was able to figure that out, that gave me the confidence to kind of learn what I learned in business school and apply that to some problems that I could see as a physiotherapist. And that's kind of how Abilities was born. Super interesting. And when I was reading a little bit more about your bio, there was another dynamic there that kind of fed into the passion that you bring to Abilities. Can you talk a little bit about that within your own family? Uh, Yeah, I know exactly to what you speak. And so, so at the time... So I was working as a physiotherapist at the Child Development Center. I was married. I had one son and uh, I met this sweet little boy and he was six weeks old at the time. And uh, I knew pretty quickly early on that he should be part of our family. And so our family ended up adopting my son, my middle son and my younger daughter. They're a sibling um, group. And so it's one thing to see not only am I a therapist working in this population, but I'm also a caregiver to someone that I love um, who's dealing with these challenges um, myself. So um, so we ended up, I'm, I'm, as I said, I met my son at six weeks old. We started the process to start to adopt him at 13 months old. He came to live with us at 21 months old, and he's now uh, 18 today. And so as we were going all of this, I was actually finishing my MBA um, just about the time that he was going to school. And there really is a difference for children. The government really um, prioritizes, and I think rightfully so, they really prioritize funding for early intervention for children, and that really is important. But there really is a, a stark contrast to the availability of public services for children below five and then above mm. five when they go to school. So it's one thing to see that when you are a therapist and to prepare their parents, and it's another thing to see that for yourself. So here I was going in and seeing my son going to school. And I know that, so my son has cerebral palsy. He's walking right now. He plays on his local um, football team. He plays on his rugby team. You know, he's active, but he still requires support. And I knew that he would not be someone that would get support from that. But I also knew that wasn't out and available in the community. So there's definitely things people say moms will do things other people won't. And that was really the combination of that. And then using my MBA to be able to use a business plan. Ironically, at first for my capstone project for my MBA, I actually did a project for a fee for service um, program for the Child Development Center. And I will forever be grateful for the Fraser Valley Child Development Center for 
their willingness to work with me, to open their books, to really help me understand what would be viable. And I was able to present that. And at the time, for a variety of really good reasons, um, the Child Development Center didn't want to pursue that themselves. But I basically took that business plan that I did for my MBA with the information that I received by working through the Child Development Center and working with them, and then use that to start um, abilities with the idea of if I build it, they will come. And, and that's what happened. Brilliant. That's a fascinating story. And thanks for sharing that aspect of sort of where some of your experience and knowledge has, has come from. So let's talk a little bit about your business model, if we can. What is your, your revenue model? Do you sell consultations? Do people pay for consultations? Do they pay a, some sort of ongoing subscription fee? How do you generate revenue in your business? We're pretty regulated from that to a certain extent because as healthcare professionals, each of us have a college. So we are bound to the rules of the College of Physiotherapy, Occupational Therapy, and Speech-Language Pathology. So we definitely do that. So our model is um, a one-on-one um, treatment. We do offer some groups, but we do a, a one-to-one treatment model. So basically what happens is somebody will come in and go for their first assessment. And in that assessment, they will always see a therapist first, and the therapist will meet with the client and or family and caregiver and find out what the problem is and then together develop a treatment plan for them moving forward. So then moving forward, they will either implement that treatment plan with the therapist directly or they will implement that plan working with a rehabilitation assistant. And if the rehabilitation assistant is developing or working through that plan, then the therapist and the assistants will work together. The therapist develops a treatment plan and a support plan for the rehab assistant to be able to execute the treatment for the client. And so that's our revenue model. And so within that, what percentage of your revenue would be repeat business where someone's coming back perhaps through the course of their entire lifetime? That's the really unique thing for us is I like to say we tend to almost uh, collect clients other than, you know, there's really not a huge turnover. So, um, again, my philosophy being a parent of a child who has received services um, through abilities is it's not necessarily that just because you have a neurological challenge or some kind of challenge requiring our services, you need to see us for forever. But many of the clients that we've seen, some of the clients that I saw myself when I started all by myself in 2007 are still clients of ours today because the underlying challenge doesn't go away. And as these clients learn and grow and adapt, they still have new goals. And so what we're always trying to do is to kind of discover that potential. So for example, right now we are obviously a very successful company over four locations, but we're really only serving just over 400 families over that. So really, I'd say we really aren't a high turnover, high volume. We're really more of a relationship, high touch boutique kind of um, feel. And that relationship is really what we're leveraging to help these clients to um, develop an outstanding experience over the years. Very, very cool. And so do you know, do you have any numbers that you can share around what that, uh, 
percentage looks like that sticks with you or has been with you from, from day one versus one-time clients or yeah. and, and it- if you don't, that's okay. We do have that because one of the the work that we really do, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about this, about how the the new environment has affected us. And one of the mm-hmm. things that was really important for us is to really understand our fundamentals and, and understand our clients and going forward. So looking at things like how often they stay with us or what we would call our client retention rate is really important sure. for us. So that's the metric that we um, look. And so People are different, and there are definitely those that come for one, you know a one-off thing or coming for a home program and then check in. So there are those. But on the whole, we have a higher than a 95% um, retention rate month over month. So, yeah, it's, wow. it's massive. So our whole idea is once we bring you in, it's about developing the relationship and keeping mm-hmm. that relationship. So – what were your immediate thoughts when coronavirus and COVID-19 started to hit the news? Yeah, so obviously for us, we work with a population that uh, in and of itself, a lot of them are immunocompromised and have those issues. So for us, I think as an organization and even as individuals within an organization, we were probably listening to it a little more, uh, a little more intently than probably the general public. Having said that, on the other hand, I don't think anybody could have predicted the way that this has unfolded as, uh, as it went. I remember, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're now kind of really to kind of the end of the second week of really seeing those huge changes. And I just remember that kind of that turn for us, for me, it was around kind of the March 16th um, part. So that was that beginning of the middle of the week where you could really see that's where travel restrictions were coming in. All of those kind of pieces where we were like, okay, this is going to get worse um, before it came, it got better. And so for me, it was easy for me to get swept up to listen to the news and to do that. And I quickly figured out, you know what, this is really isn't going to help my organization. And so with some of the advisors that I um, currently work with, we put our heads together. Virtual um, therapy was always on our radar, but it became pretty apparent very quickly that that not only was, the valid strategy for us going through, it was our only strategy going through. And so once I made that mental pivot in my head and my mental mindset, that really helped me. And it doesn't mean that I haven't had ups and downs through this and, and have had to go through the emotions that many people have had to go through through this period. But once I knew what our plan was, I mean, that happened on the 16th. So the next 16th, the 17th was the Tuesday. We had a, a company-wide organization. We've always used Zoom to, to gather as a group on a monthly basis. So once we did that and we outlined the plan, then for me, that was my vision and my constant. I listened to the news a lot less frequently than I did before because it, for me, it didn't matter what was happening outside in the world. We knew our plan. We knew how we could help our current clients and how we could position ourselves to be of highest and best use. And really, it goes back to our vision. And so uh, when I think about some of the things that we were going through before this, like some of the challenges that we had. So, you know, the 
the strengths that we had have been magnified and the challenges we had were magnified as well. But fortunately for us, we were, we were just this year on the beginning of a second a year two of a three-year mission. And that mission was to become the most admired neuro rehab company in BC by delivering an outstanding staff experience and an outstanding client experience and knowing that that's not mutually exclusive. So that all sounds fine. Everybody's talked about, you know, you hear about visions and missions and core values and people put it on the wall and, and it sounds like it's kind of nice little fluffy extra stuff if you have extra revenue, but I'm here to tell you that once this virus came and once we saw the potential impact, our vision and our mission was the foundation for what we were going to do. We knew that our vision and our purpose, which is really our purpose to discover the potential in children and adults with neurologically based challenges, we had to deliver that purpose in a different way. The way that I was sharing in that meeting is to say, we knew by the end of the week, we probably were not going to be able to see our clients. We're a high touch, high relationship. We were not going to be able to serve our clients the way that we had in the past. So thinking about what our purpose is, my challenge to them was, you know what? These clients that have had challenges with us for months and months that we're working, they're still going to have those challenges at home and how are those challenges going to be different or even more magnified because if I had a stroke at the beginning of the March I still have a stroke now if I have a child who has sensory dysregulation or has problems communicating with other people that child's still going to have that challenge at home so how can we as an organization rise together think about how we can serve our staff and how we can serve our clients in this way. And so virtual therapy was our only way through once we could figure that out. And that's where all of these, what sounds like nice, fluffy things, core values, mission and vision, that was our foundation. And, and I think it added for our staff, even for me, it added a level of constancy and consistency and just fundamental underpinning for us to work through Right. In a world that had had lost all of its constancy, if that makes sense. So, yeah, totally. So let's talk about that strategy because you mentioned a few times that news sort of things really started to uh, I don't know if unravels the right word, but re- really take off in in the news. And so it sounds like you had some really key strategic conversations with some key people in in your life and in your business in real time and we're able to make some pretty quick decisions about that strategy. How did you come up with a strategy? Obviously, you know, it was to go digital or virtual, but were, what were some of the ideas that were floating around and, and how did you decide to make that call in such a quick, you know, responsive nature? So again, it kind of goes back to our vision and our mission. And as part of that, about 13 months ago, we actually met as a full organization to talk about what our strategic plan was going forward. And even at that time, some of the challenges that we have is getting qualified staff. So it's really hard to become 
a therapist and it is really hard for therapists from around the world to be able to practice here. So finding the right staff has been a huge thing. And so we've had some other challenges. And so we had already identified strategically that virtual care is something that we wanted to pursue. And we had done a lot of the work that we needed to do. So we need to improve our financial systems. We needed to improve our people development. We needed to improve some of our accountability and reporting around roles and responsibilities. We knew that we needed all of those foundation things to really launch that. But virtual care wasn't something that was necessarily new to us. It was something that had already been kind of the seed had already been planted within our organization. And funny enough, I can't even take credit for it myself. Our our director of client experience, as we were talking about our next plan in terms of expansion, she had actually brought it up herself and said, wouldn't it be cool if our fifth location wasn't a physical location, it was a virtual location. So again, that was another seed that had been planted Mm. months ago. And so as we kept going, so we had some of these seeds already planted. One of the challenges for us though, again, we attract staff and I'm probably biased, but it's like a mom that thinks that their kids are the best kids ever. I, you know, the people I work with obviously are not my children, but I think I work with some of the best people on the planet. But we have the people that we attract are really attracted to that relationship because, again, we are dealing with some of these clients for years and years. We become like a family, we are part of their family's lives. And so, It was one of the challenges that I was noticing just from a people point of view is there was some hesitation about how can we replicate that in a virtual fashion. It's so much easier when you're face to face. So there was some of the challenges. We did have therapists that were dabbling in it here and there, but we didn't do it. But there's nothing like a world pandemic and and closing all four locations that really did help us understand Virtual is the only way for us to go forward. So those were some of those things that once this was coming, and I've always had external business advisors, and so whether you call that a business coach or whatever you um, whatever you want to call, I've had that in a variety of different ways over my growth and career, but I really do also credit having some kind of external source someone that knows you as a leader knows your strengths and weaknesses also knows your organization their strengths and weaknesses but is removed enough that can be objective and that was really critical for me and I so I really relied on those in those coming days and once they helped me to deliver that plan I've never talked to my advisors as much as I have in the last two weeks but we have never um, advance. If I was to open a physical location, it would have taken a lot longer than we did. Once we decided that we're making that pivot on the Monday and we set out that plan on the Tuesday, we basically got a full clinic up and operational in three days. And that would have wow. taken probably about three months for us. So again, it's wow. a credit. It's a credit to our team. 
it's a credit to our vision, like values, that the trust that they had in me and that they also understood their key roles and their key priorities. And obviously I was communicating to that, but as I was setting that out to the team members, I was doing it, again, one of the things that we did, as I talked about, was talking about was improving our accountability and reporting about roles and responsibilities. So what that looks like at Abilities is every role and responsibility has what we call the big three, the top three priorities that you have in your organization. Everybody has that, including myself. So my big three is to set the vision build the team and don't run out of money. <laughs> Those are my big three. And so I, I obviously work on other things, but that's my role as the CEO mm-hmm. of the company. And everybody else knew that role. And so it was really easy for me to understand who to give what to where because I knew what they were good at because they were really good at working at those responsibilities. The other thing right. we did We did have to downsize some of our admin from that, but we were really able to quickly as a team assess what are our strengths in our admin team and what was their availability. That was the other piece where some people still really did want to work with us. They really do believe in abilities and our vision and our mission, but now they're working with small children at home or now they have somebody who's sick. And so we had to quickly understand, again, in those three days, and we needed to give people time to assess and to process themselves. They're having, maybe they have a spouse that's now coming at home to figure out what are our resources within our organization. And Mm -hmm. so if they felt like they couldn't work because, you know, we, we have lots of great men that work in our organization, but just being a healthcare, helping the nature of our thing, we have a lot of women that work with us. And so, and, and with that, there's a lot of caretaking responsibility that they end up doing as well. And so we wanted to give them permission to be like, you know what, if you need to take a pause, you need to take a pause, giving them, if you're going to work with us, that's awesome and be available. But if you can't right now, that's okay. We're, yeah. We will be here when we get back and we're going to, and I'm committing a thousand percent so that we can, be here and we're going to be stronger when you get back, but it's okay. It's okay to take a break. And so once we were able to figure out what those resources were and use our big three, it was, it was a lot easier for us to implement the virtual clinic. Well, and you made some interesting points there. And that's something I've picked up through a number of different conversations. I had a, a conversation with another business who previously or prior to coronavirus was already hundred percent remote. But mm. the transition from being 100% remote and having the space to be able to focus and work to being 100% remote with kids and spouses or significant others in the background, it, it's been a huge learning curve for them who already had, you know, for the last decade, had a remote workforce. So it's, it's uh, you know, I, I, think, I don't think there's anyone out there right now who's not seeing change and being challenged in new ways, even if they were better prepared for this than other businesses. Now, you mentioned that you basically had this virtual, you had this plan. And so as you talk to your mentors, it was, it was really just a matter of flicking the switch and saying, okay, we're going to do this now. This is our trajectory. And it, it sounds like it took a matter of three days to be up and running. Were you actually taking clients within in that third day? Or how quickly were you able to ramp that fifth location up? 
that's one of the things that I can already take away that I'm super proud of our team that we were taking telepractice and, and we're looking at that. We track that uh, week over week to see what our difference was between clients versus um, telepractice. So we made that shift um, really quickly. And I think, again, to right. speak to your previous point about working for home, and I think what has been really helpful for us is, again, that kind of accountability. We know that everybody has good intentions, but there is there is that new dynamic in terms of working from home. I've always had the idea of I care less as a leader how you get something done. It's more I care more about the results. And so as long as we can have clear expectations about what those results are, if you need to do that in different times or different things, I've always been around therapist choice and that and so again that's why we have different compensation plans we have different offers and so I think that did help us to be more successful not that we don't have bumps along the way because we definitely do and and our therapists are are learning how to work in this um, environment a lot of our therapists be it you know we have some therapists that this is their first year out of school working and we have therapists that are you know multi-published 20 year plus experience and a lot of them are telling me it feels like it's their first job again or like they were a student and on placement but I think again what helps them is the consistency of this is the production that I'm expecting from you and we can be really clear about that production so they understand what they can do and I'm giving them the freedom as much as I can in terms of how they want to do that. So you don't necessarily have to do the same hours you did before, but I'm still expecting the same amount of production for that similar time. So it's just having that shared expectation. I think that's where that big three really helps us, the shared expectation, the accountability, and the reporting. Because we have those systems in place, I don't feel like I have to micromanage people. I don't feel like I have to... Um, I feel like I can be there more effectively as a coach and as someone to build them up and to support them through this time and less worried about, are you wasting my, my really important dollars right now when every single dollar matters more than any other time? So I'm really grateful for this foundation that we've had. So can you talk about, I think you mentioned the term volume before, or when you close down four clinics and you open up one to sort of replace those, what's the typical volume through a door, maybe on a daily or weekly basis? And how does that compare with what you were able to do, you know, day one, week one in this virtual clinic that you were able to launch? It's a good question. And it's not, yeah, it's not all roses and and that we did, we hit a significant revenue challenge with this transition because one, some of our clients felt like it might be, I mean, it hit at spring break. So a lot of our clients would have typically either came maybe a little bit less during spring break or they would have taken a break entirely. Some of them at the beginning two weeks ago were like, oh, you know, maybe this is a two week thing. We're going to go. So there's been a little bit of a challenge in terms of converting some of our current clients into teletherapy, which is, again, we want them if they want to come and we need to support them through that. So our job was to continually reach out to them, see how they're going, doing show care and concern. But week over week, so in that third week, we had a 60% hit 
in our wow. revenue versus the week before. And so that was our bottom. And now we're up 5% from that. So now we're down about 55%. So we are working really hard to bring that up. The analogy, and again, in our company meeting this week on Monday, it was welcome, welcome to our location. Our virtual location is the only location open. We invite every single one of you to come and to work. And I'm committed, if you're willing to work, I'm committed to find you that work. It's going to take time, but it's like a new location. If I was to open a new location in, say, Langley, we wouldn't have the same revenue at the beginning. So again, it was trying to help the team and ourselves to set the expectation. We're not going to be able to do that overnight. So what we're looking for is net new. And then again, working with our advisors and our team to model this out financially to make sure that we're okay, that we're doing stuff from a cash flow side, from an expenses side to make sure that we can stay viable. So we really have this startup kind of mentality right now, which is exciting if you want it to be. I choose to have for it to be exciting. Yeah, I, I think it's such a unique perspective to take that, yes, we're, we're closing down four locations, but we're actually opening up a brand new one. And you're sort of on that bootstrap kickstart, you know, mindset where you're effectively starting a new business um, or, you know, creating a new revenue stream for your business that could put you in a, a very interesting spot when this passes and we start to open our doors. Can you speak to that a little bit about how you, um, whether it's, you know, three months from now or six months from now, what does the future look like for you as far as opening new locations? Do you see this changing your your mindset there? Yeah, I actually, um, there's not much I can do about the pandemic, but what I can do is use this opportunity to make our organization stronger. And I can already see, you know, there's hyper changes that we've had to deal with, but as we've dealt with these changes, we are becoming stronger. And as I've seen some of my clinic owners, and I feel for them, because a lot of the clinic owners that, that do, especially that work with kids and adults with neurological challenges, they really don't go into this for the money. Like it really, if we were to work as a therapist in private practice, this is not the area. This is not the high area for business opportunities. They do it for the relationships. And as, as I watch them on social media and that I, my heart breaks for them because some of them are just, they decided to close their doors for two weeks with no other thing. And so our message Mm -hmm. is we are open this is the way that we're open. We're open in a responsible way, but we are open. And this virtual clinic, it's here to stay. And as I've talked to our team, our feeling collectively is the longer that these restrictions in terms of face-to-face contact and that go on, I think the longer it will, the more clients will actually really enjoy this and that Well, they may come to the clinic, but they may not come to the clinic as frequently as they do. And plus, we're serving net new. And so in serving net new, some of these people now, for so for example, our out of location, we're looking, you know, geographically specific. Now for our virtual clinic, it's the province of British Columbia. And it only stops with that because because of our college. And so What has been interesting is just funders, funders that wouldn't fund virtual therapy two weeks ago are now doing that. WorkSafe BC is funding 
teletherapy, ICBC on an individual basis. So this time of challenge has really created innovation in this space. So for us, like there is no better time to have this clinic. And some of these things, these positive things will continue. That's where we're doubling down and, and our virtual clinic is here to stay. It is our fifth location. That's great. And that was going to be my next question is, do you, do you see this staying around beyond this pandemic? It sounds like you've thought about that and, and you see at least some of them continuing to buy into this model of care. Yeah, I, I think so. And the longer this goes, the more buy-in we will have. And that was really important for us right from the get-go. You know, some of our clinic coders, again, who are just, they're great clinicians and it is hard to be a great technician. As many people start in business at being really good technician and it's hard to make that transition to, to thinking as an actual entrepreneur and thinking about this organization as a living thing. But it was really important for me to position ourselves right from the get-go is we never close. We are open. We're just open in this way. And this is not something that we're doing because we're sitting at home and we have nothing better to do. We were doing this before, albeit on a smaller scale. And now in order to answer the response of the community, this is the way that we can help in the community. I see families in Facebook groups, parents of children that are worried about the funding that they have disappearing because they're losing that, worried about their children, about how this social isolation is affecting their development and worried about losing the gains that they have. And so it's so gratifying for us to be able to do something that we do well. This is our purpose to discover the potential in, in kids and adults with neurological challenges and to be Love able it. to do that in this way. And so for us, it gives us purpose through this piece. And yeah, I feel like, again, I would never wish this pandemic on anyone, but I think if you're smart as an entrepreneur and think about your skills, whether you're a solo entrepreneur or whether you lead small or large group of people, you know what your inherent strengths are. And so if you can leverage that to enhance this opportunity, then there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. I think this is the time that will help us to move Canada forward through this time. So I'm excited. So I, I love your mindset. I mean, you said it yourself, your revenues, they were down 60%, still down 55%. You've made up some lost ground there. But ultimately, you're seeing this incredible opportunity ahead, and you're choosing to innovate through it. And uh, I, I think that's just a, a remarkable mindset to have. So what happens if this goes, from, from your perspective, if this crisis carries on beyond six months? What do you see as your greatest challenge there? The greatest challenge for us is how we manage our ongoing expenses for in-clinic things. So well, there are some strategies that we can use for that. But the stronger that our virtual clinic is, the greater we're going to be able to offset that piece. And I thank you for that mindset. I, I, I've seen as I talk to other entrepreneurs and other clinic owners, I, I have a mini clinic owner group that I have from around and we're meeting on Monday. I do know that we're different, but really if, 
it comes back to my own fundamental piece. We go back to what is my big three. So my big three is to set the vision. So what's the vision right now? Our vision is the clinic. So I need to be mindful about what's happening now, but I also need to be thinking two, three, four, six months ahead. As you said, that's my job to be able to do that. And that's what gives me focus. I need to build the team. And so I need to be thinking based on that vision, what kind of resources, support do I need for my team so that they can meet that vision six months from now? And I need to not run out of money. So what kind of financial resources and strategies can I use to help us to go forward? And that's changing, as we all know, on a day-to-day basis. And, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for the national, provincial, even more local opportunities that are coming in to help. I think that's one of the fundamental things that makes Canada so great. And so I'm going to leverage every piece I can to help our organization because I know that helps our community, that helps our staff. That's our mission is to become the most admired (laughs) rehab company by delivering an outstanding staff experience and an outstanding um, client experience. So as I keep thinking about that three, six, months ago, that gives me the motivation and the mindset to keep going. In this chaotic time, what is keeping you most occupied? Like, can you chalk it up to sort of one responsibility or one perspective? And and what about your team? Like, you've talked a lot about how you're communicating and, you know, trying to move your client base over to this new virtual clinic. How are you doing that? What mechanisms are you using to communicate? And therefore, what's keeping you busy right now? Yeah. So the number one thing um, really is communication. I've said this a lot this week to our team that over communication, I'd much rather you over communicate than under communicate. So communication is key. So for us, um, for the last two weeks, I'm sending out a daily email of updates. So I'm telling them what my priorities are as the clinicians, what their priorities are. Our administrative team, we know what they are. I'm giving them their priorities. So my my main responsibility right now, again, it's changing. So we're gonna get back to a new rhythm and a new normal, irrespective of how long this pandemic goes, as long as it's virtual clinic. So it was a lot of work for myself to be able to organize a team and the resources in those first kind of three days. So there was a lot of hour by hour getting people to check in with me to go in terms of communication with our clients. That's where, again, we're leveraging our strength of we have really good relationships with our clients. And so we leveraged our, our clinical team that know our clients best to be able to reach out individually. So that was their number one priority was to show care and concern and to reach out with them, to have them to talk through that. So we had scripts to be able to help our clinicians not say something word by word, but talking points so that they would be able to talk to them. The conversion probably wasn't as high as we like, but as we go and as our clients understand that this is a long-term thing and they've seen that care and concern, I'm quite confident that those that want to continue with therapy are going to continue with therapy. So communication is a huge piece. But what I noticed for myself, you know, last week where we really were switching to that I was working more than I ever had in my life. Again, that's like that startup mentality. And so this week, again, lots of work, but I really try to, and I'm communicating my team, 
need to start coming back to some kind of new normal consistency. We can't work a thousand percent all the time for weeks and weeks on end. And so while we worked really hard in that first week to create the systems that we need to go forward, then we allow those systems to work. So this week was really about communicating and figuring out how those systems were working well. One of our core values is find a better way. And so if something didn't work, the whole idea of that is instead of if a problem comes up to really think about people assuming that they have the best intentions and whenever possible to create a system or environment to set them up for success, that's what we're going to do. So that gives me the confidence to build the team. And so that's my main goal right now. Right on. So for those listening that maybe don't know what a virtual clinic could look like. I mean, everyone knows what walking into a physical clinic, checking in, sitting down in a, in a chair and waiting, and then, and then the practitioner uh, comes out and go to a room and everyone understands what that experience might be like. Can you describe what is it like to visit the virtual abilities clinic? Yeah, um, it's actually kind of awesome, which is why I wanted to do it for like 12 to 14 months ago. So really what you're doing is you are connecting with your clinician virtually. So that can be over your smartphone, over a laptop. So we use Zoom, which as I've mentioned, I think on my Instagram stories today, if if you didn't know what Zoom was a month ago, I don't think there's hardly anybody that doesn't know what Zoom is now. (laughs) And so Zoom itself or telepractice, it's really just a tool. So how we use that tool, again, because our high-touch relationship boutique experience, we are still abilities. We're still going to do that, but we're going to do that in a virtual way. So what we're going to do is find out what your goals are, find out what the challenges are to that goal, and we're going to use that session to be able to help you to that. So for example, Zoom has a whiteboard feature. So our occupational therapists are using that as a drawing tool for um, kids that are working on fine motor issues. So look at working at drawing and forming letters and those kind of places. They're making crafts together. We have um, adults that are using it to go through their program. So we can do a home program. We can do consultation. We can actually do a therapy just like it would be in clinic. But every therapist is going to talk to you, and just like we would in clinic, over that from the comfort of your home, now you're going to be able to work on your goals in a virtual way. So if we were to actually come to your home, and we, and we did do that in the past, um, we're more than happy to do that, but there was an extra cost because obviously the therapist has to leave the clinic use their vehicle, drive there. So there was mileage costs and travel costs and that. And so that's why I'm pretty confident that the longer that this goes, especially, the more people are really going to be let in on the secret that telepractice is a pretty awesome thing. I think there's not many of us that wouldn't rather see their family doctor if they could over telepractice versus driving to your family doctor sitting in the waiting room with all the six people waiting. (laughs) You'd much rather wait at home. So all of those things, we don't make you do that. We don't have you wait and do that. But all of those advantages are going to happen in telepractice. So I really, 
I was just mentioning that to a therapist I was talking to today that I think this will be in terms of our professional development as a healthcare profession or industry, I think this will be the inflection point that we look at historically as the takeoff for telehealth just in general, which mm. is pretty exciting to be here on the ground floor um, and yeah. uh, to be working on it. So I, it's cool. Again, such, such a great mindset. So for those that are listening and, and struggling in their business and maybe they haven't figured out how to pivot or how to shift or innovate within their own industry, what resources or suggestions could you make to them? Yeah, um, one, I think it's important to, yeah, you know, you've spoken a lot about the mindset and I've noticed that as well. And I think that's a really easy thing um, to say, but I'm able to have this strong mindset because, uh, you know, this isn't all roses and Pollyanna's set. There are challenges and there, and there, there have been times that I've cried and there have been times that I have gone. I think it's important as I said to our team a couple of weeks ago through this, you're going to feel those emotions. And I think the more so some people are going to have to go through that more than others, but the, I really feel like to the extent that you don't go through those emotions and let yourself process it, it's going to be really harder to clear your head and to make some, uh, some strong decisions. So I think that's the number one thing that it's okay to do that. Um, and to feel those um, feelings. Number two, I think it's to go back to, again, if you, if you did the woo-woo soft thing of doing the vision and the mission and the core values, this is your time. I mean, it's funny, even for ourselves, we're only in, in year two of our three-year vision, but you better believe that I've actually come out and I've looked at our vision. It's posted on our walls and all that in the clinic, but I have that as a background on my computer, that it's something that I go back to every day. And so if you have that, definitely go back to that. If you don't have that, though, this is a time. I know it's, it can feel like you have to do action. And action is definitely important. And, and definitely one of the things that my advisor said early on about this is that urgency. Urgency is important. Is, just can't wait and 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 I definitely agree with that. But the extent that you are are not just working hard, but working smart. So thinking about whether you're a solo entrepreneur or whether you have a team, what are the core competencies, capabilities that you have in your team and how does that match with the problems that are happening um, today, then that might be something really easy for some. It might be easy for to say, "Hey, yeah, we have this client base. These clients still need challenge. They still have challenges. We have a competency to be able to help them. How can we help them without actually seeing them?" Well, so that is a thing. But it might be something outside of your thing. This might be a way to think about a completely different revenue. It might be a different client base. I don't know what that is, but just taking some time to think about what are what are the assets and the resources that you have and, and people, and how can you match that to a marketplace? Because there's definitely a marketplace out there, and how can you make that connection? Once you have that, then it matters less about what's happening. So 
instead of worrying about how the government is going to help you, what the wage subsidy is. And, and let's be clear, that's super helpful and, and super important right now. Focusing more on the things that you can control. And what you can control, as you said, is your mindset. You can control the resources and the assets that you have, including people, material systems, those kind of things. And you can control the message that you have out there. And once you know what your assets are and what your mindset is, then you're ready for the message. And then you're ready to work hard in a really smart way. And I feel like that's the best way for you to be able to not only survive this pandemic, but actually to thrive. Love that. So I I heard kind of a a few different themes there. if I can just summarize having the right mindset, going back to your roots, your reaction time. I mean, you talked about, you know, quickly reacting and pivoting and in, in with a sense of urgency, leveraging your strengths. So knowing what your strengths are. And, and, and then you mentioned you have to embrace technology at this time. It seems like technology is a pretty common theme in, in all industries right now, as people are trying to figure out how to do things in a digital way. I think those are all really, really great suggestions. Yeah. So thanks, thanks for being on the show, Heather. Re- really appreciate it. What's the best way for people to reach you if they'd like to connect? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm all about connection. Again, we're a relationship-based company, and I'm all about connection. I love being an entrepreneur. When I'm, when I'm hiring people, I always say, this is my dream job. It should be my dream job because I have ultimate control about what my job is, and I'm super passionate about helping entrepreneurs and uh, helping them to achieve their dreams um, as well. So you can follow us, Abilities Neurological Rehabilitation, on social media. So on Facebook, you can look us up at Abilities Neurological Rehabilitation. We're also on Instagram at Abilities Rehab. Instagram is probably the best way to follow me specifically. I'm specifically running that page. I'm running the stories. I'm doing the video and things. So if you're on Instagram, send me a DM or you can feel free to email me at heather at abilitiesrehabilitation.com. Or finally, you can check us out on our website, which is abilitiesrehabilitation.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for for taking part. And uh, we'll be excited to follow your uh, progression through this new fifth location that you've just opened up. Thanks again, Heather. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneurs vs. Coronavirus podcast with your host, Ryan Kononoff. For complete show notes and additional information, visit clearbridge.ca slash podcast. Ryan is the founder of ClearBridge Business Solutions. To find out how investing in technology can help your business, especially during uncertain economic times, visit lifewithclearbridge.ca. Connect with Ryan on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Ryan Kononoff. That's R-Y-A-N-K-O-N-O-N-O-F-F. Thanks for listening.